Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, it's Ari Ben-Shushan, and this is a new podcast. What am I doing? <laughs> why, why are we doing this? Hey, don't you have another podcast? And the answer is, yeah, Baruch Hashem, Yassi and I have a wonderful podcast together. But also, Baruch Hashem, both our schedules are quite busy, and trying to find time for both his life and mine to actually come together and make more Tyra, make more material, make more joy, I guess, for people and their listening pleasures. We have so much fun with that. I mean, you see how much fun we have with that. But I figured, you know, there are times where I sit in my class and you get a moment and you just get a feeling. It's unplanned. It's unscripted. It's all hard. And you come at it. You just, you just have your way at that, you know? You just... And it's really enjoyable, and the boys really, I believe, respond with like, "Wow, you know, Rabbi, you should really let the world know that." Or, I, "I'm so happy. You know, I wish we had that recorded. You know, just different ideas along those lines." And I think to myself, "Man, the classroom is really such a great place. It's such a great environment where Hashem sends thoughts. Hashem sends originality. You see, originality, I believe, comes not because." somebody is more original or has better ideas or more insights than anybody else, really. I believe originality comes because those who are listening, I believe originality comes because Hashem gives you a talent, let's say to be able to speak or even to express any kind of art or something along those lines. And and if you don't test it, if you don't go out there and speak it, if you don't go out there and try to teach it, so then those moments of originality that could have come to you, Shemayim you know, heaven, they don't send it to you. When I'm sitting there in the classroom, I'm telling you, I am not as smart as the things that I say sometimes. But I believe that Shemayim goes and sends me some kind of a thought process, not because I know it and not because I'm smart enough for it, but because those listening have to hear it. And so I got to thinking and I said, you know, the classroom, Baruch Hashem, has my 20 kids inside there and that's great. And there's a lot of zchus obviously coming through over there. But what about? <laughs> what about if you speak to the world? What if you sat down and decided unscripted without really much in front of you except your heart, your mind, and a little prayer on your lips saying, Hashem, please give me some kind of clarity over here to be able to speak to Yidin and Klai Yisrael. The amount of emails that I get all the time from different people, and please keep on sending those emails if I haven't responded to you. I apologize, but it's either because what you sent to me was something so incredibly earth-shattering, and I mean that, that an email just could not do a response like that. I, what do you want, man? It's just too big. It's just too much to be able to type up and give you a response. It would, it would take me hours and hours. Uh, a lot of you send me emails, and, and they're so emotionally binding. Like, they bind themselves to my heart, and I don't have words. You know, so I want to let you know that you've been listened to. A lot of times I believe people send emails just because they need a shoulder to cry on. And I want to let you know, yeah, we cried together. You know, that actually happened. So if I didn't respond to you, a lot of times that's the reason. Uh, those who I did respond to, I'm not saying that your emails are any less dynamite. But at least I felt that at that moment, Shemaim sent me some kind of a thought process to be able to respond with. So there's so many hidden out there that actually want to listen and actually want to grow. What a schuss. What incredible merit that is for me, certainly, for my family, uh, for those who have taught me as well. 
for the Torah that we give over from the tzaddikim that we teach from, what in a massive schuss it is. And altogether, what a Kiddush Hashem it is that all of Klai Yisrael, really, they tune in to listen to so many Rabbanim across so many different platforms. It's just amazing. But I'm telling you, I'm doing this out of selfish reasons. <laughs> I'm doing this because I really believe Shemayim sends clarity, thoughts, ideas, originality when you go and put yourself on the line to try to teach others. So this is me saying thank you to you if you're listening to this right now because whatever Tyra may come across or ideas that we may hit over here, it may be because you have schos avas. It may be because you have merit from somewhere. And and don't kid yourself on schos avas. It's a very, very big thing. The Gemara and Brachas and Chavzayin of over there, right after, right after they ousted, I mean, there's no better word for it, you know, Rebbe Gamliel, who was considered the one in charge. He was the Nasi. He was the one in charge. This happened to the Yidin after the second base of Mikdash was destroyed. And all the Jews went off to Yavne, the Chachamim at least went off to Yavne, and the one in charge was Rabbi Gamliel. The second in charge, the Avbetin, was Rabbi Yoshua. And very famously, Rabbi Gamliel had what he felt was a need to be a leader. This need to be a leader was a need, not because he wanted it, but because Kla Yisrael was falling apart without it. And you needed to have Tyra to be given in a way without Machlekas. You need to have Torah to be given away in a clear, in a crystal clear, given just perfectly so that society can run flawlessly. That's really what Rabbi Gamliel was going for. Rabbi Yoshua would disagree with him uh, in certain halachas. The one that the Gemara over there in Brachas is talking about is whether or not davening arvit, whether or not davening marv, whether that's a rishut or a chova. Rabbi Gamliel said it's a chova, Rabbi Yeshua felt it was a rishut. And when it came time inside the Bet Midrash, uh, Rabbi Gamliel had heard that Rabbi Yeshua said that it was a rishut. There are those who bring that, he heard it from a student of theirs, which was Asher of Shimon Bar Yochai. And there are those who say actually that when Rabbi Yeshua told Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that it was a rishut, he meant it specifically for him, for Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, but not for everybody else. But ultimately, it came to that moment that Rav Gamliel said, all right, go ahead, ask your question. And he said, well, is is Arvit, is it Rishut or Chova? And Rav Gamliel said, it is Chova. Does anybody here disagree? And Rabbi Yeshua said, no, we all agree. He said, oh, really, Rabbi Yeshua? You, oh, I heard that you don't agree. I heard that you disagree. And he said, well, yeah, you know, I got to give in. It's true. You know, I can't deny if the one who said it is standing right here. Now, this is a few times that what we're about to say happened. Rabbi Gamliel told Rabbi Yoshua, you're going to be standing the rest of Sheer. That was really an embarrassment for Rabbi Yoshua. Now, this isn't the first time the Gemara tells us. There were two other times where they had a disagreement about uh, the time of Yom Kippur, a disagreement about uh, Bechar by Rav Tzadok. Okay, I mean, you know, those are side things. The people felt enough is enough. The people felt it's enough of Rabbi Yoshua being embarrassed by Rabbi Gamliel. And so they stood and they said, that's it. We're, we're taking Rabbi Gamliel off of his throne. No longer is he in charge. All right? No king, no king. No, there will be a king. I will be your king. So now they had to make a new king. They had to decide who's going to be in charge. So they turned to Rabbi Yoshua, but they said, no, I can't be Rabbi Yoshua because he's the one that this whole thing happened with. It would hurt Rabbi Gamliel too much. 
And Rebbe Gamliel was not doing that. The Mepharshim explained. He wasn't making Rebbe Yeshua having to stand those other times and what would seem to be public embarrassment. He wasn't doing it, chas v'shalom, for his own honor. No, the Mepharshim explained Rebbe Gamliel was actually a very, very sweet, sweet man. There was a lady in the neighborhood they bring from a different Gemara who she lost a child and she cried. And Rebbe Gamliel heard her crying. He, he cried until his eyelashes fell out. I mean, you know, he really, really felt the people. It's just that he also felt that when it came to halacha, for the people themselves, that it has to be something so exact without machloka. So they didn't want to hurt Rebbe Gamliel. So they said, no, it can't be Rebbe Yoshua. Okay, should it be Rebbe Akiva? They said, no, it can't be Rebbe Akiva. Why not? He doesn't have zechut avot. He doesn't have merit of his father's. And in turn, they went to Reb ben Azariah, and we know the rest of the story, which Reb ben Azariah, who was a Chacham, and he had Zchot Avot, he was 10 generations from Ezra, and he had money so he can deal with the king, and Reb ben Azariah, etc. You know how the story goes. It's really a beautiful story. Give a look over there. Berachot 27b going on to 28a on top. Really beautiful. But they bring, what is this Zchot Avot over there? And they explain that Rabbi Gamliel would have felt bad and if Rebbe Akiva didn't have Zechut Avot, we know from a different Gemara, Rebbe Akiva was the descendant of converts. They say from Sisra, that it says that the great-great-grandkids of Sisra are sitting and learning Yerushalayim, and they taunted that Rebbe Akiva came from over there. If that's the case, so then they were very afraid. In Shemayim, the moment that whoever else takes that throne, whoever else takes on the mantle of being the Nasi, Rabbi Gamliel is going to feel bad, and there's going to be a din on that person. And that din on that person, you're going to need merit in heaven because up in Shemayim, they're going to come at you, man. Up in Shemayim, they're going to say, Well, give a look at this. He thinks he can just sit on the throne and be the Nasi. Well, let's open up the books and see exactly who this person is. And when they get involved in such things, to be able to stand up and din and judgment, you need zechut in shamayim. And we're talking not just your zechut, we're talking about the zechut avot. That's what the Gemara says. You need merit from your fathers. And so I believe that, and how do we get here? It's amazing. You know, this is, this is what I like to do. Uh, just get lost in the world of Torah. Just allow the thoughts to bubble up wherever they are and just be blown by the wind of Chazal, whichever way it goes. We brought this up because we said that if you're listening to this right now and you have Zichut Avot, and so maybe Shemayim will give us a new idea or a new piece of Torah to give over because in Shemayim they're saying, well, Ari Ben Shushan thinks he just can go and teach? Really? I don't know, but one second. Who's going to be listening? And they could be great-grandparents standing up there in Shemayim and saying, that's my grandchild, that's my granddaughter. If that's the case, you have plenty of merit to be able to guide us. So your listening literally puts a wind in the sails of Chazal to be able to blow closer to your heart and soul because Baruch Hashem, we have the Zechut to be able to say this over. So let's say a good piece, shall we? Let's say a piece for this week's Parsha, Parsha's Truma. Let's say over a piece from the Halig Asfas It is a beautiful piece over here. Rev Berkowitz, my Rebbe, your Rebbe, just don't know it yet. Uh, the Heliger of Yitzhak Berkowitz, Rosh Hashiva of Esha Torah, the head of Jerusalem Kolo, where I Baruch Hashem had years to be able to spend over there. Best years of my life. I'm going to be honest with you. Best years. If, if you're young and you're listening to this and you're on the ropes, should I go have my year in Israel or should I go 
join a colo or something, I am telling you, I am telling you, please listening to me, please listen. Those are the best years of your life. If you're a Yid, those are the best years of connection. You can't let them slip through your fingers. Have at it. Just go. Stop making all your cheshbonot. Start thinking, well, I got to start college early because I have to be a doctor by the age of 23. So I can... It's all noise. It's all just noise. Go. Go have your soul bask in some light of the infinite. Go give it some arhaganas. Go get your arhaganas. Just go get your hidden light. It's yours. The Ritva brings that 600,000 souls were up by Harsinai, and we all heard the Torah a different way. And so therefore, when we daven on Shabbos and we say, give us our chilek in your Torah, it's a reference to your chilek. It's not mine. It's not your other Rebbe in high school or your Rosh Kolo that you may be with or the Rav of your shul. It's not his. You know, they may tell you pieces of Torah that are amazing, that ignite your neshama, that bring you to higher places. That's true. But all of that, they're stepping stones to get to an incredible light. And the light that you're meant to get to is your piece of Torah, the one that you heard by Harsinai, the one that you're going to bring into this world, a tikkun that you're going to share with eternity. And that's actually going to be the place that you build for yourself for eternity. That is what you're going for. And to be able to speak that language, to be able to have the tools inside your tool belt to build that tikkun, that only comes if you spit blood for it. That only comes if you actually sacrifice for it. So, yeah, I mean, if you have other things that are going on in your life and you think you can't go to Israel or you can't spend a year of learning in Kolo, so then that's awesome that you have to sacrifice for it. It'll just mean so much more to you. When you actually get out there, you'll be asking yourself, why am I here if I could have had something else? And that will be the impetus. I mean, that will push you so much more to want to have at the infinite language that is God's and that must be yours to be able to figure out your purpose. Ah, it's incredible. It's incredible that you have that. So these were my years. So this is why I want to give off to you in the years that I was able to have over there learning by Rav Berkowitz. And he would say this Svas Emes a few times. It's on the Pasuk where Moshe Rabbeinu minorat zahav tahar miksha menorah. Make yourself a menorah, a golden menorah. And Rashi tells us that the Lushan of the Pasuk is te'aseh, menorah me'aleh, that the menorah is going to be made by itself. It was very difficult for him to make it. He didn't know how. I'm like, Hashem said, Just throw it into the fire. Take that big chunk of gold that you've been working on, throw it into a fire, and magically, it'll be made by itself. Now, that's pretty incredible. That magically, it's going to be made by itself. Yeah. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know how to do it. He had to bang all the gold into a shape of the menorah. It kept on falling over. It, it just didn't go for him. So, Maishra Benu tries. A very famous question, but a very necessary one. If the menorah is going to be made by itself, why in the world would Hashem ever even show Moshe what it looks like or how to make it? I mean, if either way the menorah is going to be made by itself, so then it's going to be made by itself. If that's the case, then honestly, why even show it to me? We know that Hashem came and said to him, Moshe, give a look at this fire. In this fire, you will see a vessel 
That is a menorah, Moshe Rabbeinu, and I want you to make it out of gold. So Moshe said, oh, okay, I can just, yeah, I see what I can do. I can just roll up this piece. No, you shall not roll up pieces. Mixtures I have. It's got to be made out of one big piece of gold. And Moshe said, okay, I'm going to try to figure that out. Moshe tries and he doesn't. And Moshe comes back and Hashem, I tried and it doesn't go. Gee, gosh, I don't know how to do it. And Hashem says back, Moshe, throw that gold into the fire. Fire, fire, fire. And he goes and he throws it into the fire. And when he throws it into the fire, he says, oh, no, I, I, I didn't know how to. And I threw it in and I just said, oh, no. The reason why is because I just realized I have to go pick up my kids. <laughs> I have to go pick up my kids now from carpool. So um, let me think. Ah, you know, I'll just pause this and uh, we'll get back to this soon. Okay, I didn't even have to say that. I could have just hit pause. But I want this to be as raw as possible. <laughs> so life does get in the way. Life is not perfect. Um, and I, no, life is perfect. Baruch Hashem, I'm going to pick up my kids. Let me take that back. I should scratch that out. Life is perfect, but uh, recordings, yeah, they have to be you know, pausing sometimes. We'll see you soon. So we were in the middle. I had to go run out. Uh, now, Baruch Hashem, we're back. In the magical world of technology, a few hours have passed. And see, in Los Angeles, they don't have busing. Why they don't have busing? Beyond me. I can't possibly understand that. But every single day, many of the mothers and fathers over here have to go running around. And Baruch Hashem, not complaining, but it definitely does take out time and energy. Uh, we're back now, and we're dealing with this piece, the question of the Svasamas. And the question was, why is it that Hashem would have Moshe Rabbeinu stand there and bang away using his hammer, hitting at this gold piece that in the end of the day, it's not going anywhere. He can't do it either way. So if Hashem, if he can't do it, if Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't be able to do it either way, then why go through this entire charades? Why show him what the Menorah looks like, have Moshe Rabbeinu see it, have him then say, huh, and figure out maybe how to do it, bang away at it, only to fail, and then throw the hunk of gold into the fire, and Hashem does it either way. If that's the case, asks the Svasamas, Hashem, you just go and make it happen regardless. Says the Heligah Svasamas, We're going to learn from this an incredible thing. If somebody strengthens himself and he does everything he can to do a mitzvah, even the part that he wouldn't be able to do, he'll be he'll merit having it being done by itself. Muvtachlo is guaranteed. Heaven will follow through and make it happen. Throw it into the fire and it'll get done all by itself. Everybody who tries, if you're going in the right path and you're doing the thing that is L'Shem Shemaim. It would be impossible for us to be able to accomplish all these mitzvot in their entirety. Hashem doesn't expect that from you. Do what you can. 
אך מכל מקום, אם האדם ישתדל ויתאמץ ויקיימת, המצווה כפי שיעור כוחו, but if you go out and you do it, according to everything that you got, יזכה לסייעתא דשמיא, then you will have that incredible help from heaven. Because, like the Gemara and Shabbos he brings, this Fasemus is telling us this wonderful idea, but it's something that we have to take as a reality into our lives. We have to understand and appreciate how far this goes. My review of Berkowitz would really use this to explain to us that if you ever want to get anything done in life and you want to sit back and say, Hashem, please have this or that happen for me, it's not going to go. In order for it to have a reality inside this world, in order for this reality to find its place, it needs human endeavor to begin or else it won't be. Moshe Rabbeinu had to bang away at it. That's the point of this. If Moshe Rabbeinu didn't bang away at it, if there wasn't human endeavor to start, so then there wouldn't be a Menaira. Gufa, it has to start with that. Don't you understand? There are things in life that Yeah, they have to happen, but they have to begin with you. They have to start with your involvement. You have to be the one to go out and do it, and you got to spit blood for it too. You got to push yourself in order to make it happen. If it's beyond, if you look at that task lying ahead and you say to yourself, man, I just can't. You know, I'll tell you personally. Man, you know, being unscripted over here, it's funny. A lot of times... You know, there are a lot of shirim I've never put up online. Let's just say I don't say names of websites, but you know which websites you find me on. And a lot of times I hold back from putting up on those because let's face it, I get very personal and I'll drop my guard in a few different things and I don't want the world uh, to have to hear it. But when I'm sitting in that classroom again and I'm just talking to my boys, to my students, I feel like I can only drop my guard and be honest with them. I can only go and tell them what's happening in my life, what I'm learning from. What are the challenges that I'm facing right now? So just today, I've been pushing this off. You see, I do a fundraiser once a year. And what's the fundraiser for? It's for Chazak. It's what I do over here in Los Angeles. And what Chazak is, what it's morphed into, is Baruch Hashem, a lot of Torah learning up here in the city. Um, trying to do everything that I can, giving a different share every single night. Uh, trying to connect with as many uh, families I have... Uh, And I hate the fundraiser. It's, it's not something I can do. <laughs> you know, from my times in Israel and on, I, I just I couldn't stand it. Still can't. You know, just the idea of going and, and asking people, uh, can you help out uh, to go and to do? I would much rather, much rather just sit and learn and have a job. And that's it. You know, Rebbeim, I think, in the 1980s were able to do that. I think they were able to be just be like a Rebbe somewhere and that just paid the bills. I'm not saying that they were like high society, but, you know, they're able to afford the down payment for the house and uh, they had a beat up car and that was it. And their house, I guess, became what would be their investment for the future. And Zehu, uh, times have changed, you know, uh, for someone to be in Chinuch nowadays, you need three jobs. A friend of mine working in uh, a high school on the East Coast told me that uh, When he went in to interview for his job about 10 years ago, there were 80 applicants, 80 applicants for the job. Now, that same job has just opened up because he got a promotion. He moved up in the school. And for that same job, being like a Rebbe in 10th grade, that same job, I think there were three applicants. People are afraid. People are afraid to 
uh, jump into it and it's because life has become really expensive and so to be able to live in any kind of a community certainly los angeles i mean uh i was talking to somebody from brooklyn the other day and i said to him you know los angeles is really expensive and he's like oh really brooklyn is so much more expensive i just told him what i'm paying in rent and all these different things and he was blown away was shocked by the craziness of it all so in order to be able to exist over here so i have to go to people and say to them um hey uh, could you help out so that there could be learning for your kids, there could be learning for you, there could be learning uh, for your community. You know, if you've been taking a part of it, if, if you've been appreciating it, then please just you know, help us out a little bit. And I can't do that. Like, and it's here, here I can do it. You know, I'm just literally talking to just four walls. So over here I can do that, but uh, in the world, so I've been pushing this off. I should have been doing this fundraiser already uh, probably a few weeks ago and I've been pushing it off. And today was the day. Today, my wife said to me, Ari, let's go. You got to figure out. So I tried to figure out a date and try to figure out, like, uh, what are the steps to get up to it? And I'm still holding off on sending out all the messages and calling people and asking them. And I know they all want to help. They're really good people out here. That's not it. But I look at it, and this is Moshe Rabbeinu with his hammer and just a big mound of gold. You know, <laughs> I'm standing here, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying to myself... I don't know how to make this thing. I don't know how to do this. So Moshe Rabbeinu starts to whack away at it. He says, I don't know what I'm doing. But Hashem said, I got to, so I got to. And I look at my fundraiser, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But Hashem said, I got to, so I got to. So that's what I'll do. You know, I'll, I'll make the calls. I'll push forth with what it is. Now, does it doesn't mean that every endeavor is successful. No. But if Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't make the menorah, and then he went to Hashem and Hashem said, well, if you can't make it, it's not going to happen. So then, so then it was never supposed to happen because I put everything I could. You know, a lot of times we'll put a lot of our koach into an endeavor. And if it doesn't work, but you put everything you got, then Shemayim Bev decided that that's the story of you. The story of you is, is that it wasn't going to happen and that's okay too. It's okay that it didn't. Because you know you put everything into it. And then you looked up to Shemayim and said, please. I banged this piece of gold with my hammer enough times. And I don't know how to do this. It keeps on falling over on me. Says this Fas MS. Moshe Rabbeinu had to see what it looked like. So you want to do something that you feel is impossible? Step one is you got to have a good, clean picture in your mind. Got to have a clear picture of what it is that you want. It can't be fuzzy. Moshe Rabbeinu had to see the menorah beforehand to know what he was going after. And then number two, although it was physically impossible, he had to bang away at it. And number three, when somebody does that, says the Svas as we see from over here, that you put everything you got into it, you throw into the fire. And if it's meant to be, so then Shemayim will follow through right for you. All right, everybody. I think that's enough of me today. I don't think you need to listen to this voice anymore right now. So, um, Bezat Hashem, we're going to keep on uh, uploading. Hope to do that when we get a chance, when it's not carpool. And it's always going to be unscripted. You know, if you want to start to send me emails, uh, please, by all means, send, send me some emails. You know, maybe we'll even make an email address uh, specifically for this podcast. And looking forward to hearing from you and looking forward to schmoozing. Looking forward to growing together. Amen. Amen.